0: Hey there, badass! Welcome to the Leading Rebels podcast, your bi-weekly dose of inspiring advice dished up by kick-ass female leaders. I'm your host, Katrin and this is episode seven of season two, an interview with neuroscience consultant and mindset change and mindfulness coach, Dr. Francesca Mega, on intuition-based decision-making for leaders. Dr. Francesca Mega fuses contemporary neuroscience and philosophy of mind with extensive knowledge of modern mindfulness practices. Her methods are those rooted in neuroscience and psychological research, as well as years of training and exploration of embodiment and mindset development methods. Through the embodied intuition process, she enables people to make smarter, faster decisions, find creative solutions, and become mindful leaders of themselves and others. The trainings are designed to harness the intelligence of a mind-body connection to be strategically able to access one's intuition, as well as developing a sense of ease and creative potential. I'm sure your interest has been sparked, as was mine when I first chatted with her, so let's dive into the interview. Well hello, Dr. Francesca. Mega. I just learned that it's like a mega bed, which is a good, good trick. I'm always horrible with names, but I got this one down now. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. I'm super happy to have you here because we're gonna talk about something that's super interesting, which is intuition. But we'll get to that a little bit later. I wanted to ask you first to introduce yourself, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you did, and how you ended up where you are now. <laughs>
1: Hey, thank you for having me. Well, I think like most people, I don't have a very straight line path uh, to where I am today. Sort of technically on the technical side, my background is in biology. I have a master's in biology and a PhD in neuroscience. And during my graduate work, I already started researching intuition, so intuitive decision making, intuitive judgments, especially in the realm of of social intuition and people perception. Yeah, so this is kind of my passion topic <laughs> and has become the thing that I focus on most now. So I'm not doing research anymore, but I'm rather doing um, consulting and I'm um, giving trainings and workshops around this topic of intuition, and more broadly speaking, um, training both um, individuals as well as organizations in how to use their intuition in decision making. Um, kind of in the context of agile project management because what I learned in the context of um, decisions under risk and uncertainty is essentially what in the business world is now called sort of this um, or, or is used I guess in agile business context so a volatile and uncertain a complex context in a fast-moving world yeah so that's that's basically my background <laughs> nice
0: It's super interesting, definitely, for sure. I'm always impressed with people who actually have PhDs. I know it's a very long (laughs) process, so I'm like, good. Um, And I think one of the questions is, what have people come to you with the most? What have been kind of the questions, maybe especially people in managerial or leadership positions that have come Mm -hmm. and been like, okay, hey, this is what I struggle with?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I should say that I started, uh, basically, I found it kind of something in between of an agency and an academy that I call embodied intuition so the work that I do I do through this and it's it's kind of marrying together the the neuroscientific foundation that I have with an extended contemplative path so a path that includes mindfulness and yoga since I was a teenager and this mind-body connection which um, I kind of bring across in in my trainings is actually kind of the thing that people request the most because the question i get asked often is or rather how people approach me is that they say that they feel like they're they've lost the connection to themselves and their you know their their days are super fast they're swamped with work they're swamped with stimuli with information they're always distracted. So yeah, it's really hard for them to focus. Um, and you know, from that situation, it's really tough to make decisions. And especially in, in a, a leadership position, no matter what level that is on, if I feel like, um, you know, I'm I'm not in touch with myself anymore, if I can't even hear my own thoughts, because I have so many extraneous things that are raining down on me, then I can't really make a good decision. And if you know, my decision has something to do with losing or gaining a lot of money, for example, that's not a very, you know, helpful way to go about doing your work. Um, As well as, you know, this uh, loss of connection to yourself, um, also having an effect on your health and on your well-being. So often it's like, this the question or the, the, I guess, issue and challenge that people come to me with are, are twofold. On the one hand, it's on a, on a work-related side, not being able to make decisions. And on a very personal side, feeling like the, the overwhelming and the complexity in their work life is having really big effects on, on their mental and on their physical health. Um, and so we try to tackle both of those in, in, in synchronicity.
0: I find it interesting how already in language do you see that reflected. A lot of women, um, female leaders that I've interviewed in the past, many of them have said like intuition is a big thing and th- one of the favorite ways of saying that is trust your gut. And that's such an interesting way because we don't just say it's a mind thing, it's like a physical thing. It's like feel it in your body and, you know, just what you think. And that's an interesting point. How do you see that reflected? Because I think that's what you said, there's a bind, uh, body-mind connection there how do you think we sometimes were too much on the one side to the other, and how do we kind of combine those two?
1: Mm. Well, it's it's interesting. So, um, absolutely, like you say, there is this metaphor, trust your gut, and actually the metaphor differs depending on the cultural context in which you're, you're looking. So, different languages use different parts of the body to refer to intuition. But from a, a research side of things, we do know that there is a bodily component to intuitive decision making. So, you know, no matter what metaphorically you might think, there is a part of our bodies that are plays a role in intuitive decision making, um, and that is what we call interoceptive ability. So your ability to feel sort of into your body. So my kind of uh, line of research or the community where, where I sort of position myself within is called embodied cognition, which um, is kind of comes from from philosophy and comes from the idea that our thoughts are very much influenced by our bodies and our bodies influence our thoughts, our, our mental processes, and we can't really disentangle the two. And our thoughts, our bodies are moving within an environment. And our environment, again, also has an influence on us and a really um, sort of tangible influence, both on a genetic level as well as on a neural level. So because our our brains are super plastic, meaning they change all the time, it's really difficult to tell what part of our um, ways of thinking have to do with our bodies or have to do with how the environment is acting on us. One of the easiest examples, maybe, for, for example, is uh, in Berlin, everybody loves to complain about the weather in the winter. Everybody hates Berlin winters because they're gray, because they're dark, because they're cold. Um, and you can really see that um, in people, they, they close off. And so um, people become more tense because they're more cold. And when our bodies hold tension, our mind, for example, become less flexible as well. So that's just one really simple way of how our external environment actually influences our internal thoughts. And I think because of this entanglement of environment, body and um, mental capacities, it's really difficult to say sort of where this balance comes from or where it happens, but what it means for me is that it's important to recognize these entanglements and it's important to recognize these sort of dynamic influences of all of the different parts and not just focus on one part. Because if you forget the rest, like if you forget the fact that maybe sitting at a desk for 10 hours a day might not be the most healthy thing for you, not just in terms of your body, but also in terms of your mind, then you also, for like you, you, you lose a chance to maybe be able to think better right like if what you're trying to do is make better decisions um, and you have sort of real points where you could access this better decision making but you're not looking at them then you're you're kind of wasting an opportunity
0: and then what is some suggestions that you give people who are trying to find that connect again or trying to emit all the chaos, um, make the right decisions, tune back into their bodies and, and in their intuition? What is some, some ways that you suggested that they can do that?
1: Mm. So there are lots of ways of doing it, basically. And one of the first ways is to become aware, to become aware of these entanglements and to become aware of how how much of our thoughts is actually influenced by our bodies and by our experiences, by our life experiences, and um, our socialization as well, which when we speak about women is a really big, uh, important topic. Um, and one of the easiest ways of accessing kind of our body when we feel like we've lost the connection is the breath. So in research, for example, on interoception, which I said previously was a huge part of intuition, right? In research on interoception, there are two markers we look for. One is breath and the other one is pulse. And we see that people who make really good sort of fast, rapid decisions are actually really, really good at sensing their breath and at sensing their heartbeat, so heartbeat detection, for example, is one of the um, the tests that we have for interceptive ability. Now if you ask people to sense their heartbeat, sometimes it's a little bit tricky because they can get really afraid because they can't sense their heartbeat and so um, that's not necessarily what I suggest first <laughs> but rather what many contemplative traditions for example use, such as yoga or many Buddhist philosophy traditions that that have um, meditation, exercises or things like qigong and tai chi all of them use the breath because you know it is what is part of us from the very first moment of our life until we know we we breathe our last breath and so um you don't you don't have to have a tool for it it's there with you always and so um using our breath to come back into the body to come back into the here and now either just by you know exhaling and sighing which is an audible way of letting yourself know like hey, I'm still alive and everything is okay. And releasing that breath, placing attention on how you breathe, placing attention on, do I have space in my body for breath to actually flow? Because what often happens is that You know, people in situations where they get stressed, which often at work is the case. Not only are we restricted by clothing, for example, which might be a a convention that we're adhering to, but we're also restricted by the ways that we're sitting, by the ways that we're hunching our shoulders, etc. So gaining an awareness of the fact that our breath can be our anchor and our breath can be a a way, an entry portal essentially, um, to connect with our bodies and thus connecting with intuitive decision making abilities means that i can remind myself maybe even set a reminder on my phone um every hour or so to just you know take a breath and we say this in language right we we tell this each other all the time if we're telling somebody to calm down we say hey take a breath it's going to be okay and i have a teacher who kept uh saying saying to me and other students like you can do anything for one more breath and that's you know it's just another indication of how important this actually is And it is something that's super easy to access for us. And it's not something, you know, that that takes very much to do, right?
0: Absolutely. And... I think you already touched on this a little bit in the beginning. As you said, um, socially, we've been conditioned to kind of see intuition as something very feminine. And which has led to kind of two sides when you we are talking about in you know, a work context. And the one side, you potentially have women who've learned or pushed themselves not to trust their intuition or not to use that as a process because they've been told that is, you know... A feminine thing that is not fact-based and science and this is not how we would do work and on the flip side even if they are open to it they met in the environment they're in that might not be accepted as a way to do decisions and people might be like why that's not a justification for something why do you think that's acceptable so I guess there are the two questions one how can women kind of allow themselves again to tap into that and not see that as a negative. And then on the flip side, also how to show other people that might not be awakened (laughs) to this new way of uh, leadership that this is an acceptable and positive and good
1: way to lead and make decisions. For many, many reasons, intuition has a bad reputation. (laughs) Um, And it has been sort of relegated to this realm of the feminine. And because the feminine is discounted quite often, intuition is discounted as well and vice versa. So there are there are many components to this, I think. For one, in all of my research and all of the research that I'm aware of on intuition, nobody has actually ever found a gender difference. So it's not that intuition is inherently feminine that's just not what the research shows but you know men and women and anybody in between no matter how you what, what gender you identify as you can decide intuitively you can make intuitive judgments and so when we try to discount this way of um, of going about our lives this way of sort of um, making judgments and decisions in the world it's not just people who identify as female who suffer but it's anybody right because also men are being told well you're being you know very feminine which apparently is a bad thing to be for some odd reason (laughs) and and that's a problem because what we see most prevalently is that, especially in situations of uncertainty, of volatility, of rapidity, intuition is actually better than rationality in terms of making decisions. And so we're, we're taking away a resource from everybody, you know, which doesn't make very much sense. And so I think it's kind of a, a matter of educating people, of really... You know, going out there and, and sort of either doing your research or asking somebody, and, and this is kind of what I'm trying to do with my work, um, is really sort of showing and, and shining the light on what intuition actually is um, and what it can do. And in many situations, people do rely on their intuition um, and we want them to. So for example, in an ER setting, if you go into the hospital and you're in the ER, your doctor will not first read through 13 textbooks and then come back to you and, you know, operate on you. They will make split-second decisions, and that is intuitive decision-making. Similarly, for example, there's this really famous case of uh, the Hudson River pilot, if, if you remember that, so the pilot who landed on the Hudson River, within split seconds, he had to make a decision of what to do. And he saved all of these people because of his intuition. And we want him to trust his intuition, right? Because essentially what intuition is, is a decision-making tool that relies on your life experience. Um, and so you're discounting your expertise if you're discounting intuition. Um, and that is true for anybody, no matter what their gender identification is. Uh, so, for example, there's, there's a researcher, Eugene Saylor-Smith, who um, does research on intuition in a managerial context. And what he sees is that in business venturing decisions, for example, people very, very often rely on their intuition. So to make a decision on where to invest or to make a decision on, you know, what to to focus on in your startup, for example, often people will use their intuition. And then sometimes, depending on how you've been socialized, people will post hoc rationalize that intuition and and kind of invent reasons for why they chose to do a certain thing um but really they relied on their intuition so for example in in my research what i often saw was that when i asked people differentially to either rely on their intuition as one set of people and a second set to not rely on their intuition but really deliberate about their choices they reported afterwards to me that they found this incredibly hard And this was independent of whether we were talking about women or men or how they were identifying. But because it's such an important tool for us to move about in our lives, if if you take this away from people and give them a chance to actually sort of confess to the fact that they're using their intuition... They will tell you that what they're doing is they're using it, but then trying to find reasons for why they might have, you know, not used it but actually relied on information that they didn't have at the time. Mm. You know?
0: Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And I think it's um I mean I'm definitely sold on, on why you should use it. And it also reminds me of an example of um Marie Forley who has a very good example because all people especially when in in the world of founding businesses or anything as you said they're also like a lot of the time fear is such an underlying thing that they never know like am i afraid because this is actually a bad thing or am i afraid because it's scary but it's actually a good thing Mm. and i think one of our examples was also a very physical one it's like do you feel yourself expanding or contracting in fear it's 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 kind of both is the same underlying nervousness i'd say because Mm -hmm. it is an uncertainty but how is it like a protective like I have to close off Because this is not good Or is it like a okay this is scary but yes i'm open to it because this is actually could move us positively forward mm-hmm. which i think it's also very interesting of looking at it uh, physically in that sense
1: and it's a beautiful example of this embodied cognition that i was speaking of and it's a beautiful example of, of intuition as well because intuition has the sense of expansiveness to it all of us have moments in their lives that we know where we reason said something completely different but for some reason we have this gut feeling that says this is the right way to go even if you know your family is telling. You you not to do it and society is telling you not to do it for some reason within you you have this feeling and it's not a a feeling of scaredness that we know it's not this like not in the pit of our stomach but it's rather like this excitement of these little butterflies that are floating around in your in your stomach right it's 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 the expansiveness and it's the this sense of something is moving within me right and it's moving so much that it wants to move me And this is where having a sense of what's going on inside of us, so having this interceptive awareness becomes super important, because these are signals that we can use. Our body is an intelligent feedback system that we can use in order to make our decisions, to ask ourselves these questions. Am I feeling contracted? Am I feeling expanded? But in order to do that, we need to A, become present, and B, sense, right? Right.
0: And then that's something, a good connection to, uh, as I said, you convince me, you probably convinced <laughs> everybody this is something you should do. But if uh, you're, for example, at leash your position where you're managing people and you've discovered this is for you, how can you, though, make it something that your team can do, that you can teach and support your team to also use as a method?
1: Yeah. So um, in that case, I mean, there's, there's various different ways of doing this. One of the ways in which I go about sort of enabling people and enabling teams to do this is to establish mindful leadership practices. Um, which kind of enable intuition to come about. Because intuition is a bit like a scared deer. If you try to to tackle it too much head first, um, head on, then it's it's difficult to do. So it's a more of an indirect allowing. It's more of creating a structure within which intuition can then come about and arise. Because it has to do with allowing stored knowledge to, to form together and puzzle together in new ways and then emerge as as new ideas, um, creativity, innovation, etc. And so, one of the ways in which um, teams can go about doing this is to look at how, what structures they have in place, what processes they have in place in terms of how work is done, right? And often, what teams will do is, um, or what what sort of the the old way of managing um, was focusing on was having making less mistakes, having less errors. And the problem with that is that it's, it's exactly counterproductive to intuition because what you want in order for, for intuition to bring about new and innovative solutions is for people to be able to go down the rabbit hole, is for people to be able to make mistakes and to see discrepancies. And um, then through that, make new connections and, and see patterns. But if you're streamlining all processes, um, you're not allowing that to happen. Intuition is not a sequential process. It's very much a chaotic process. Um, and so looking at, at these kind of structures in place is always for me the starting point and then secondly allowing for people to come forward to be transparent about the fact that they're using their intuition so making it okay Um, and that also means not labeling it as a gender not labeling it as like the emotional way of making decisions although there's nothing wrong with making decisions emotionally emotional intelligence is one of the most influential skills that we can have at this moment in time but Just not not judging it at all, but allowing people to make decisions in in their way and acknowledging that there is inherent power within people. So rather than thinking about empowering people to use their intuition in allowing them to do something, acknowledging that they already have the power and you just need to make the structure for that to come forth, for that to happen.
0: And is there any resources or tools that you'd recommend uh, listeners can check out if they want to dive a little bit deeper into this? I will, of course, (laughs) link to what you're doing so that they can check you out. Um, But beyond that, is there anything that you think is worth exploring?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's tons of information out there um, and I'm I'm happy to put together a list even, but um, one of the things that, uh, or one of the books, I think that I would uh, really recommend if somebody wants to dive more deeply into intu- intuition <laughs> is called The Intuitive Mind by Eugene Sadler-Smith or Inside Intuition by the same person, a professor from the UK. As well as because intuition Um, or intuitive decision-making is really aided by mindfulness practices. I would look into um, books on mindfulness. One of the teachers that has influenced me the most and has sort of allowed me to grow the most in terms of mindfulness practices is Tara Brock. So tarabrock.com is, is her website and you can find a ton of resources from her, um, including guided meditations, which is a great way to start. So if somebody has never done meditation before, if somebody has never um, looked into mindfulness practices before, then doing a guided meditation with a teacher like her, who has a background in clinical psychology. So she marries kind of, these two Eastern and Western traditions as well um, which might be the reason why I resonate so much with her is a great way to start so looking at her her things or checking out her book which is called Radical Acceptance would be definitely resources that I could recommend
0: perfect and is there anything you want to leave the listeners with I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and will definitely link to everything um, but is there any, any last words that uh, you'd like to leave them with
1: I want to just invite everybody to spend more time checking in with yourself on a physical on an emotional and on a mental level and allow whatever is present there to arise without judging it because essentially there's so much intelligence there that um, we might not recognize or realize yet but the more time you spend with yourself the more time you spend checking in with yourself the more rich you will become in this wisdom that is there. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, and until soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
0: that's it for today thanks for tuning in check out the description for more on today's guest the link to everything that was mentioned and now i'd love to hear from you what key takeaway from today's episode especially resonated with you head on over to leadingrebels.com and leave a comment on the blog i look forward to continuing today's conversation with you there